Hey, Keith here with Rebel Civics. Today, we're going to talk about unconstitutional actions of the federal government. This uh, recent reports and uh, squashing of the idea of banning gas stoves nationwide is a ludicrous example of <clears throat> what federal government will go to, what they actually do seriously talk about as if it's constitutional to ban gas stoves. Uh, ludicrous is the first word that comes to mind for that. I picked out a few others to talk about. The bump stop ban is a fun one. And then we're going to get into the whole list of three-letter federal agencies. Uh, just run through the list and say which ones are constitutional and which ones aren't. Uh, spoil alert or maybe trigger alert, depending on your point of view, pretty much all of them are illegal for being unconstitutional, violating the highest law of the land. So today we got a guest to bring in to back me up on this and say his own, uh, point out his own uh, unconstitutional actions. We got Benjamin Schaefer. He's a, a attorney deeply interested in the Constitution. He's also uh, legal counsel for the alternative currency system Goldback. Um, so, Benjamin, welcome to Rebel Civics. Hey, great to be back. Yeah. So uh, today's going to be a fun one, I think. And, and when I said spoiler alert, I'm totally serious. That's for the people who don't know. Um, and it's also a trigger alert, I think, for the people <laughs> who uh, aren't uh, don't don't agree. Um, so yeah. anyway, <laughs> it's a bit shocking. It's shocking no matter what your opinion is on it when you realize um, exactly how this works. What is the government and why is so much of it not mentioned in the Constitution? Can, For example, my first question for uh, the listeners is would be, can you name the four branches of government? People will say, what do you mean the four branches of government? Well, the largest of the four branches of government isn't normally included in the answer to what are the three branches of government. The largest branch of government is the administrative state. So you call so, it the, the agency, the executive branch agencies that are supposed to be run by the executive branch. but Right, but are, you know, run by the executive branch? Exactly what does that mean? Uh, you know, for example, can the president always do whatever he wants with them? Well, sometimes more than we think he should be able to, but sometimes less. So it's, it's rather strange. They're not just people who work for the president. That's the uh, part of the national view of things is, yeah, if the president says it, then you have to do it. That's that's the idea. Right. <laughs> the flag, the flag waivers. Well, As, and, uh, right. Because there's a certain point where a lot of Americans seem to have forgotten. We fought a war about not having a king. Right. Um, but a lot of people want the president to be the king. They wanted to elect a king. right? George mm -hmm. Washington uh, honorably said, no, I don't want to be your king. Yeah, <laughs> he could have been if he wanted. That's uh, if you put any of the recent presidents, certainly any in the last century or so, century two, maybe mm -hmm. if you gave them that choice, they would say, sure. Yeah. yeah. Like, <laughs> or they might say, well, I got a pen and a phone. Like, I don't care about the title. I am the king. Oh, boy. <laughs> might be yeah. the answer. But yeah, a lot of people have the view that you just have to do what the president says. I don't think that the current president could list the agencies that he's supposedly in charge from. So. If you I think very, very few people, unless they are specialists in administrative law, even specialists in administrative law, they usually only know one type of administrative law. I don't think there's very many people on this earth, unless they're trivia nuts, who could possibly name all of the administrative agencies, let alone who all the heads of them are, or let alone what they all do. Yeah. So if you're CEO of a corporation that has a, a bunch of subsidiaries, you should be able to at least list the subsidiaries off the top of your head, right? 
Yeah, but this this yeah, makes but, uh, um, the U.S. federal government nice. really is about the largest corporation yeah. with more subsidiaries than any other in the world. And so. people go on. So, okay, I'm going to put up the first one that just this one just I think it made a lot of people laugh. But they apparently were seriously talking about this. This is the um, gasto ban that's been in the news. Uh, it was reported, you know, all over the place. The administration weighs a nationwide ban. I'm not sure exactly how much it was really weighing it, but it was based on um, the Consumer Product Safety Commission mulling over the uh, studies of, of emissions. And they, a lot of noise came out. Anyway, they talked about bans. So the guy, Trumpka Jr., Richard Trumpka, uh, he's the commissioner. He said, any option is on the table. Products that can't be made safe can be banned. So <laughs> what do you think he means by, he's saying they can do it. Uh, they didn't actually do it. And there's various reports. I, I have another one up here. This is kind of a fact check one. So, um, oops, that's the wrong button. There we go. Uh, ABC, and this is actually from an AP report. They say they are not banning gas stoves. They say Biden doesn't support this. Well, I don't know. Any Well, maybe he doesn't support it. But but I think the bigger question, of course, is then why do we care what Biden's opinion is on gas stoves? Does he have the power to do anything about gas stoves? Where in the Constitution does it say, and the president shall dis make decisions about gas stoves? I flipped through it. I couldn't find anything about stoves. Right. Yeah. And it wasn't I, I it wasn't because appears. I, I've read the entire Constitution many times. Never noticed the word stoves anywhere in there. No, wood stoves, they they Thomas Jefferson would have thought it ludicrous for the federal government to ban wood stoves because it might hurt children if you don't have good enough ventilation. That's well, what the claim it is. Can and does, you know. I mean, don't get me wrong, we want to have safe we want to have safe um stoves. Sure. Of course we do. We don't want people uh, making mm -hmm. bad stoves, but what does that have to do with the federal government? Yeah, yes, and, is, the and hard, is the hard question. The, the whole conversations here, like like I'll show this one again. Um, you know, th this was a uh, Republican, Texas conservative Republican, come and take it, basically. Pretty funny. I'll never give up my gas stove, the maniacs in White House. It did cause a lot of people to say we're not going to do it. Um, the, the response to this, but officials insist that people's kitchen appliances are in no danger. But then they go through and they talk about the risk and how products that can't be made safe can be banned. So they stoves emit dangerous levels of toxic chemicals, which is actually true. Stoves, when you cook, when you heat things, chemicals come out, including from propane and natural gas stoves. Um but that's why you have ventilation. So, <laughs> I mean, it's a simple thing. Like, we're not denying that you should have ventilation. You go in a commercial kitchen, they have a huge hood over the gas stove. Right? Sure. Like, you have to do that if you're running, you know, a whole wall of gas mm -hmm. uh, stoves. And it's a ventilation question. But the real question is this CPSC. Like, this just points out, like, well, we got to fire all those guys and shut that down. There's no authority to do that. I think it's interesting that uh, Trumpka's argument, though, is that regulations apply to new products, not necessarily to old products. But that's a little disingenuous because we know that they can ban or change at least old products, too, if they're deemed to be dangerous, right? Um, so, you know, if somebody – let's say somebody uh, – for example, 
gas stove makers don't have carte blanche to create gas stoves that are accidentally filled with C4. So the first time you light it up, it will explode. Okay. They can't do that. The Consumer Product Safety Commission would be like, no, it turns out you cannot stuff your gas stoves with explosives so that they will blow up. Um, <laughs> okay. Uh, and you'd say, yeah. oh, but I thought you, I thought you said that it only applies to new products. Um, yeah, that's, uh, that's not exactly true. Old products, if they are deemed dangerous, I'm sure they're going to try to regulate them. The, the way they responded, and even in this article that's a fact check, the fact check is really that, well, it says the president does not support banning gas stoves, this uh, Jean-Jean right. Pierre lady said. Like, okay, after all this backlash, uh, they got to say that. Now, whether he really said that or not, who knows? But anyway, there, there was so much kickback. Um, but it's all, you know, I read a few articles on it. It's all about that people want to keep gas stoves and that there should be maybe regulations on the, uh, venting requirements or something like nobody's talking in the mainstream legacy press about, well, they're not allowed to ban gas stoves. Like that's really the, should be the primary point. But even in this fact check, they never get into that. Well, again, when we're talking about this as a constitutional question. This yeah. uh, uh, Karine Jean-Pierre is a House press secretary, right? And just said in that quote that they're an independent agency, right? Wait a second. If they're independent, who's their boss? You're telling me that the president isn't their boss right now. In your in the, that press statement, she says yeah. basically the president is not their boss. No, they're independent. They're as totally if, independent. As but if they're not part true, of the executive agency. But if that's true, if they are truly independent, then what's their authority by the Constitution? Because once again, the whole question is um, the Constitution doesn't mention the Consumer Product Safety Commission or any of these other agencies. And the theory has been that the legislature in creating these agencies is giving authority to the executive branch to implement certain laws, right? They're creating a law that says there shall be a Consumer Product Safety Commission, it needs to do certain things. And they're saying, here, here you go, executive branch. Executive branch now has the power to enforce laws. And how do we want you to enforce this law? We want you to create some uh, this agency. We want it to do certain things. So the whole legal fiction that creates the administrative state is that it's still within the three branches of government, that it's still within the Constitution because the legislature is making a law or giving a direction and the executive branch is simply enforcing that law. Mm-hmm. But if they're independent, then they're not part of the um, – and they're saying they're not part of us. They're not part of the executive branch. And, of course, they're certainly not part of the legislative branch anymore because the whole point was that the legislative branch gave away some of their powers to to be handled by this agency. Um the, so yeah, the, if, they're, if they're independent, the, they're unconstitutional. That's like kind of, kind of so kind the, of the actual and the commissioner of the the agency said that. Like he, I guess he actually thinks that he doesn't. Yeah, have he's to like ask. I'm not beholden to the president. He can't fire me. Um, he probably so, can't. You know, I, I <laughs> he's, took he's, he might be law. Right. In law school, and it was really fun. My uh, law, prof- my administrative law professor in law school kept saying, "Where in the Constitution does it say they can do this?" And we were all like, uh, it's not in there. And he's like, so how is this constitutional? And we're like, it's not. That's kind of the standard answer every day. Um, <laughs> the same <laughs> thing every day it comes up. <laughs> yeah, because like every day it would come up. Um, but So the big difference is, is that there are people who serve at the will and pleasure of the president. 
and there's people who can only be fired for cause, and there's people who cannot be fired, but it would have to be impeached, basically, that work in this administrative state. Um, because, again, they didn't want the president to just become an absolute dictator uh, when they created some of these agencies. But the question is, is can, can they do that? Can the legislature create a fourth branch of government? Well, as a practical matter, the answer is obviously yes, because they did. As a practical matter, yes, they have done it. <laughs> they have done it, but it's not legal, right? It's not constitutional. Right. It's not legal. But it doesn't, it doesn't strike me as very constitutional. So there's a couple different doctrines um, or ideas, right, legal ideas um, that come up when this comes up. One is the non-delegation doctrine, the idea that the legislature can't use its power to abdicate its responsibility. It has responsibilities under the Constitution. Those responsibilities are affirmed by every person who goes to be part of the House or the Senate, right? Every legislator takes an oath to uphold the Constitution, which means they cannot abdicate their responsibility by giving it to somebody else. Um, for example, this applies when people think about uh, creating administrative guidelines, the CFRs. Um, the Code of Federal Regulations is this body of law not created by Congress. It's created by these agencies. Basically, these agencies have legislative powers and they're creating laws, even though they're not elected officials. Right. Um, and so the theory goes, sorry, it doesn't work that way. We've given all of the authority to legislate laws to Congress, um, to the, the House and the Senate. Right. We've given that to these legislators. According to the, and they can't just give away that power to an unelected agency to, to, to do that. So that's called the non-delegation doctrine. Now, it's generally been ignored. Um, it's generally been ignored, um, th this doctrine. The Supreme Court has just not paid attention to it in a long time. But I think we might getting, be getting to the point where it might come back. Um, just a few years ago, the Grundy decision, it was called. Um, was about, um, it was about the sex offender registry, which once again is one of those administrative things that some people think it's a good thing. Some people think it's a real waste and it's prejudicial and that it's unfair. Um, but, but yeah, the sex offender registry, as hot a button as that an issue that is, let's set that aside for a moment and say, yeah, but who administers this, right? It's an administrative law type of thing, this, um, sex offender registry. Um, and so what happens when uh, when it's being handled in a way that uh, seems unconstitutional once someone wants to bring it to the Supreme Court, right? So he brings it to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court held on plurality four to four, but uh, no, was it five to, five to three? Anyway, no, it was four to three, I think, because there, we had a recusal. Um, but... Um, they, they held on plurality that they were not going to visit the non-delegation doctrine, but the dissents all said, this is a non-delegation doctrine problem. You cannot create a sex offender registry because Congress just cannot give this kind of lawmaking authority that changes people's lives, that affects people's lives permanently um, to an unelected fourth branch of government. And Samuel Alito actually wrote in his concurrence with the majority that if there was one more justice on his side, and Kavanaugh was recused, he said, if there's even one more justice on my side who could have voted, I would vote that uh, the non-delegation doctrine applies. So we were really, really, really close to having the non-delegation doctrine reaffirmed, even though it hasn't been used in almost 100 years or something, 
uh, to throw out an administrative agency. And it, but it didn't fly. We're close. But by the skin of its teeth, it didn't happen. But I'm telling you, we've got a, a new majority on the Supreme Court. It is clearly a conservative majority in the Supreme Court. And this has been a, um, you know, a, a, a pet peeve, a, a favorite idea for law professors and things like that for, you know, ever since it was first articulated. And you've got a bunch of justices now that seem to be in favor of it. I mean, I learned this in law school, even though the Supreme Court hasn't spoken about it in a long time, because it is it is a difficult constitutional question. And so it has to be debated for people to understand the law. And I think we have, um, as, as dismissive as we want to be of this idea that of this non-delegation doctrine, I think it's actually supported by a majority of the Supreme Court justices now. That the current Supreme Court justices, if something like this came up, would? Would reaffirm it, yeah. And throw out, throw out an administrative agency. And so right now, the administrative uh, law, especially after this Grundy decision, uh, Gundy decision, I think they're all um, trembling in their boots, um, saying, do not bring any lawsuits. Avoid lawsuits at all costs. Do not let this go to the Supreme Court again, because if it does, we're going to lose. That might be uh, the next next ludicrous one. I just picked out one other ludicrous one, and I wanted to make sure that because I'm not a Democrat, I'm not a Republican. I'm not never been a member of any political party. Uh, so, yeah, Rebel Civics doesn't harp on Democrats. So I figured I'd bring up another ridiculous ludicrous right. one was the bump stock ban. I, I Again, I read the Constitution. I don't remember the term bump stock being in the Constitution. And the, the, the whole decision is ludicrous. I, I highlighted one part here. I'm just going to read it. Officials at the BATF had previously concluded bump stocks were merely a gun accessory or firearm part, not subject to federal regulation. Okay, just stop there. Uh, it's a piece of plastic with a spring. Um, so, yeah, I think they were correct right. there. But you can, you can just create one, right? It's change, not like banning man. it's going to make any difference. If you want to figure out how to make one, it's like, oh. It's a piece it's, of plastic with a spring a, on it. Spring, yeah. So what changed here? Um, as now, now I don't think they went back and looked at the Constitution, but the change was the line above here. It gained national attention from the Vegas shooting. Um, he had a bump stock. Whether he used it a lot or whether it made a difference is uh, not that clear. But he did have one. So then President Trump called on the Justice Department to outlaw the devices. So the justice officials told CNN they took a fresh look, quote unquote, fresh look in light of modern developments. Now, the modern developments is politics, right? That's the right. Modern the, main, the main, of course, the, 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 the tragedy in Las Vegas, which, by the way, by itself was very suspicious and rather strange situation. Um, I mean, it was a horrific tragedy, though, no matter how you look at it. It was a horrific, horrific act. Uh, but... Again, what can you do about it legally is a really, really hard question. How do you and, – and, and any regulation they do, could it have stopped something like that? It's it's illegal to shoot 75 people from a sniper it's position. Certainly. Like that's already illegal. Um, the guy, you know, he planned that for months and months. It's like you can't make evil illegal. It doesn't doesn't help. Evil exists. Right. If, if you – if he didn't have a bump stock, the guy would have figured out another way. I mean, if he was well, smart it's, enough it's, to plan that, the guy, the guy was, 
than it is. A, I mean, the device helps you with this firing style, but the idea is you're basically shaking the gun back and forth to but allow he, you to continuously pull that trigger quickly. Um, it diminishes so, accuracy, but then they call that a bump. And then because you're basically literally just going bump, 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 bump. And then um, the, the little spring system just helps you kind of hold it steady while you do this. But it's almost more of an idea they're trying to ban, frankly. It's kind of a fun thing. I guess, like to use it, it's it almost falls in the toy category for once, like, once again. It is motors. a low accuracy, high fire high rate, rate of fire thing to do. But and and the reason the thing exists is the 1934 Firearms Act and the way it's enforced because automatic weapons are not. It's not constitutional for the, them to ban automatic weapons either. So the bump stops would not even exist. <laughs> likely would not even exist if they hadn't banned automatic weapons. So they're getting something close to, in my opinion, I would say. So, the, so the reason this, I, I, I tied in what, what you said. So earlier when we were talking about the, um, the gas stove ban that they don't want something to bring up the Grundy decision. They don't even want to get to that. So this one, uh, here's the text of it. I have the link. I'll put this, this stuff all show up in the show notes. Um, this is uh, the BATF, like Congress didn't do this. It wasn't the president. The Department of right. Justice, which is Bureau of Al Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives is a, an agency in there. Which uh, is they clarified. Too, I want to point out because what an interesting pairing. Alcohol, tobacco, firearms, explosives. What do all these things have in common? Almost nothing, right? It's very, very strange. That they all ended up in one place and it's, it's really part of that history of administrative law. The existence of the ATF is almost certainly completely unconstitutional. And it's this cobbling of weird political issues into one let's do whatever we want agency that was created because, you know, they, they couldn't make it food and drug for alcohol and tobacco because they didn't want to admit that they were drugs and they didn't want to admit that they were food. So they had to create a new agency so that they could give unique regulations for this particular type of food and this particular type of drug drug alcohol is a drug tobacco like is a drug yeah, it's weird like why do they regulate tobacco with firearms that's a good point right um, what, what, what do these things have in common almost nothing what they have in common is <laughs> political will at a particular time to create a certain amount of regulation in our lives mm -hmm. Um, even though there's no authority under the Constitution for them to do so. You know, this is why we have what's called the enumerated powers in the Constitution. Specific things the federal government is supposed to do and other things it's not supposed to do, right? And nowhere in there did we give them authority to do this. And so they're taking that authority by creating, whenever there's political will or allowance to do so, whenever the flag waivers are saying, you got to save us from this problem, help us out, um, government, without any real thought for which part of government actually has any authority to help them with that thing. What do they do? They create a new agency because the people demand action. And then they'll just go ahead and give this blank check to a new agency, which then for the next hundred or more years can do whatever it wants with no oversight, no accountability. And it's clear from the constitution, that the ATFE, BATFE or ATF or BATF, whatever you want to call I usually it. Just that say agency, ATF because it's shorter, a but... ATF, the ATF is unconstitutional. Like the whole thing is yeah. unconstitutional. There's nothing in Article One. This is for people who don't 
understand what's behind that. There's nothing in Article One that authorizes Congress to create or fund an agency. And the Second Amendment, as far as the firearms goes, is specifically reminds them that they're not allowed to do it. So it's illegal for two different reasons. Sure. I, I'd have to read one quote. Of course, it's the, the common quip. It should be a store. Somebody said in uh, should be the name of a store. Oh, and by the yeah, way, yeah. it was Crystal G said that at Porkfest, it was a store. So at Porkfest, there was the ATF store that sold alcohol, yeah, tobacco, and firearms. They yep. sold alcohol, tobacco, and firearms. And that, you know, <laughs> ammunition. Um, I don't think, I don't remember if they had uh, explosives. They, right. well, <laughs> but yeah, they had tobacco. Ammunition. ammunition has little explosives in it. Yes. And I bought, I bought a glass of wine when I was walking around from the ATF. <laughs> Uh, with a gold back. Did you, did with you pay a, him in gold backs though? I, I paid in a gold back and I had a, <laughs> I gave him a one, which was, which was rough. They were, everybody's using it as $4 US yep. dollars equivalent at then. It's about the same now, I guess. Um, it is about the same now. About the same. So it was $4. $3.99 today. And to it wasn't particularly, it wasn't particularly expensive wine that he had. He had a, sure. He had a box, I think. Um, <laughs> so uh, he said, "Well, that's too much." And I said, "Well, I don't have any uh, anything smaller than a one gold back. I didn't have any fiat money with me. Um, all I have was my gold backs." And he said, "Oh, well, I, I'll give you change, you know." So the change was one nine millimeter shell and two <laughs> cigarettes. That was the change he gave me. <laughs> and I kept them both. I brought them back to Florida because I thought it was hilarious. That was the change for a gold back. And they got a glass of wine for one gold back. The change was a nine millimeter. Um, right. And then I got home. When I got back, it was nighttime. And I got back, I realized it was a steel case, nine millimeter. So I've never actually stuck it in the, the gun. But I kept it just for fun. <laughs> I saw he could have given me a decent round, you know. But anyway. <laughs> so he was a little cheap on that but and i don't smoke so i actually there was a guy that smoked near us so i gave him the, the cigarette anyway that's so yeah this agency's uh clearly unconstitutional and what is um as you brought up earlier i want, I want to talk about like the supreme court actually by default upheld this uh what they did is they wouldn't hear it um which is it went through lower court so Essentially, the federal the federal court system upheld the bump stock ban. So the the courts, um, obviously, they're federal employees uh, working for the federal government. So if you don't, if a state or you know people don't like what the federal government is doing as far as a three letter agency, you can't go to the federal government and complain. That doesn't work. And taking right. it to the Supreme Court, that's what that is. You're going to the federal government to tell the federal government you don't think they should be doing what the federal government does. And the problem is that the federal government often sides with the federal government. That's basically sure. I look I mean, at the Supreme Court. This is one of the biggest problems that I think we have in policing in general right now is that if you ask the police to investigate police misconduct, they shockingly never seem to find it. Um. And and that's a problem. We should be able to appeal to somebody for justice if we're not getting justice from the people who are supposed to enforce the law. And, and this and is why they're supposed to be independent, right? Three branches of government are supposed to be independent so they can have checks and balances, right? 
basic checks and balances idea is that the uh, Supreme Court will have no deference whatsoever to uh, the other branches of government. They'll have no reason to have any deference. That's why they have things like lifetime appointments, for example. This came up the other day. My daughter was like, why give them lifetime appointments? I mean, uh, maybe they have really old-fashioned ideas that'll last for a long time on the court. And, and they don't have and they don't have lifetime appointments. They they have an appointment while they have good behavior. Doesn't say lifetime. Well, I guess that's true. Um it's very hard to it's very hard to impeach one when it comes to bad behavior. Who gets to define that, right? But essentially impossible. This is for memory, but there was one just I recall there was one impeachment, but it didn't uh it didn't get it didn't removed. Actually remove. So that's yeah. it, no one has ever been removed for bad behavior. Right. So they get, they get removed because they thing. die. That's right. <laughs> um, uh, but, but there's a reason for that, why they can serve so long as they have good behavior, which is we don't want them to be beholden to the administrative state or the executive branch or the legislature. We don't want them to be beholden to, be beholden to anyone. They can't be, have an independent political view if they're worried about their next term. If they're worried about re-election, if they're worried about pleasing the political powers that be, they can't have independent thought that looks only at what is right. Um, and so we kind of need that independence in the judiciary, right? We need that kind of independence. Um, but de facto, they don't seem to have that. Um, again, one of my pet peeves is the Chevron Doctrine. The Supreme Court created what's called the Chevron Doctrine to say that they will all give deference to administrative agencies, give it a deference to administrative laws, the definitions, the interpretations even that the administrative state comes up with. Get, they get first deference unless it is clearly and overwhelmingly wrong, unconstitutional, something like that, that's in, in an overwhelming way. So, say an administrative agency decides that they are going to ban Congress and prevent Congress from meeting. And they're going to use the funds they receive from Congress to go into Congress and drive them out at the point of a sword. Then, then the Supreme Court would say, "Well, we can't, we can't uphold this action. We can't give deference to this as a legal action." But basically, almost anything shy of that, the Chevron doctrine says, "Just let them do whatever they want. We're going to give deference to them. We're going to assume yes. that they're right, because we don't want to second guess the administrative experts." They're they're the uh, yeah the quote unquote experts. Fauci, right. for example. <laughs> just yeah. to throw one out. I wasn't going to get into that. So so anyway, the, the Supreme Court did hear in, in this right exactly what you'd said about the um Grundy, that they didn't hear it. Um and Neil Gorsuch, who who is a Trump employee, you know, he's supposedly conservative, but he's still a big government guy. He said the court was correct not to intervene. So the lower court said that it was fine. Mm -hmm. Bump stocks are automatic weapon so they they defined a piece of plastic in a spring as an automatic weapon <laughs> that's what they did so you can't have this thing because it's classified as a machine gun anyway all the just close that part out just all federal firearm restrictions are unconstitutional every one of them from the 1934 firearms act all the way through to the bump stock executive order which wasn't even congress that was an you know Right, it's, a, it's an agency regulation. Well, and this is this is why the president is so much more of a king because all of these um, all of these administrative orders, all of these executive orders, usually affect some administrative agency, 
And then those administrative agencies actually affect our lives. Mm -hmm. In fact, when you think about it, which parts of government actually affect you? You know, so much of what government does doesn't affect most of us most of the time. We try our best. Directly affect us. The well, agencies I, affect us more than any other branch of government. The so whatever some Maryland me. senators up to doesn't really directly affect me most of the time. But the administrative agencies and their decisions affect many aspects of my life. Yeah, the the agencies affected me right before the show. I went to the bathroom, and they affect the the agencies define how much water my toilet is allowed to use when I flush it. Like, like, like it affects us every day. Right. You can't, you can't go by. You remember, make, remember the old toilets? I bought a house that was built in 1959. had one of them five gallon per flush toilets. Like there's nothing you could, you could throw a baby in that probably if you need to do. I mean, I think. You know, after having having plumbing problems. I'm joking. I'm joking. After having, after having plumbing problems once, I remember joking. I was like, we're going to fix this. And I'm going to get a new toilet. I want a toilet that I can drop a brick into the toilet and flush it, and it will go down, and it will not get stuck on any of the pipes between me and the city. <laughs> but that I use that as an example because – and I'm, it sounds funny, and but I'm not being facetious. They do define how much water our toilets are yeah. allowed to use. They define – the agencies just run amok like they do affect our lives. There was a, a, I forget who did it. Somebody on Twitter yesterday said, you know, what is the uh, last action of the federal government that affected you positively? Mm. What do you, what would you, I'll tell you, I'm curious what your answer would be. And I, I'll tell you mine after you tell me. Real quick. My brother is a um, environmental scientist and he tries to prevent any uh, and regulate uh, any radioactive waste. Um, his job is to make sure that radio- radioactive waste isn't getting out in the public. And I have a little bit of mixed feelings about some of these because you're asking me positively. Well, it's so easy to think of all the negative examples, right? Positively, though, what's affecting me positively? Well, I actually am really grateful for the EPA sometimes when it comes to some of these environmental regulations um, that kind of sa- have saved me from some really gross pollution. Uh, some I mean, like, I used to live in Cleveland. Okay. Like so, when the Cuyahoga river caught, caught fire, that <laughs> made, made people wake up to the fact that if a river's on fire, there's a lot of pollution. <laughs> but, you, but this is the, this is the common, you know, yeah. it's a fallacy. Like, you know, who, but who would build the roads? Because Utah right. would have an EPA that would, that would prevent, hopefully that would work keep on contained radioactive waste. And they would probably the do a better job. It's likely, in my opinion, that a state-run EPA would do a better job in Utah of watching radiation. And your brother that would work for that true. one. That's who there your you brother would work for. And then it would be constitutional because the states are allowed to organize themselves. It falls into the yeah. – but who will build my roads? Like, like uh, the way mm-hmm. uh, Tom Woods put it, he said, okay, there's a Walmart here. And there's a whole bunch of people over here and there's no government to build the roads. And everybody just stands there like, oh, no, what will we do? Right. Walmart will build a road. (laughs) Walmart would build the road. Yeah. Or the people that needed to go to Walmart. Um, I often uh, when roads come up and say, you know, the guys got to the uh, Philadelphia to write the Constitution without the federal government highway. Right. Right. Like, how do you think they got there? They took a road there somehow. They took a road <laughs> right. um, from like, you know, New Hampshire. 
And South you know, Carolina. This doesn't matter. One other problem <laughs> though with corporatism, you, with you bringing up Walmart, I'm like, well, Walmart would build the road, right? But here's one of the biggest dangers of the corporatism that we have. The, these corporations have gotten so big that they are self-destructively even sometimes unaware of their own needs or the needs of their customers or the needs of their employees sometimes that they will literally implode and take down entire communities with them rather mm -hmm. than do what would make sense by, under market forces sometimes because they're so big and unwieldy bureaucracies sometimes they don't mm -hmm. even know what's good for them. In, in most cases, I think you know, perhaps all cases, a company like Walmart would not exist without this federal bureaucracy right. set up because right. they, they so couldn't, they would be, so they would be a dis they distribution. The they would just die. <laughs> well, or, or Walmart would be a distribution network or something. They, they might, yeah. there, there would be some company like them. There were probably like Amazon's a great idea. There probably would be something like Amazon, mm -hmm. but it would be, it'd be tied in with, a million little businesses that's probably mm -hmm. that's what would happen in a voluntarist you know in, mm -hmm. in a less less governed environment all right i have another one i was going to bring up this is a fun one uh what do you think about christopher ray i want to let's talk about the fbi for like three minutes oh, another unconstitutional police force. hoover blackmailed people that's yeah. why the fbi exists that's how it was formed it was created <laughs> um and the FBI, uh, here's here's my quip I use, which which I've seen other people use. But the FBI exists to counter the threat posed by the existence of the FBI. <laughs> <laughs> so, so FBI Director Christopher Ray gave a talk at the World Economic Forum. What's up with that? Right. What does this have to do with like, economics? Well, with the World Economic Forum, that's this move to the one big government, right? This is the world right. government thing, world one world socialist government. One world cybersecurity, big brother government. And the FDI, the, the director of the FBI, like you'd think he's busy. Um, I thought there's all these threats. Mm -hmm. But yeah, he, he, he went to the world. I was astounded at this. Like, no, he's not allowed to do that. <laughs> that's not that's not a i mean the whole agency is unconstitutional there's no constitutional authorization for a police force that operates within the states i'm, I'm especially amused by looking at the history of J. Edgar hoover what an interesting guy in history and yeah that's why i would say my summary of the fbi is it only exists because J. Edgar hoover wanted power and money and he blackmailed <laughs> public officials to get it and they gave it to him because he had dirt on all of them. <laughs> he had dirt on all of them. Yes. <laughs> so anyway, I thought this was amusing. And and you see the FBI, you know, all this stuff came out with the Governor Whitman kidnap plot that half the people were informants and FBI agents, like creating their own crime. Right. Um, it's amazing how often the CIA will be arrested by the FBI or they don't. They don't know or the about FBI won't doing. be talking to other FBI agents. They'll all start shooting at each other. because like, they're the bad guys. And it's like, no, we were just pretending. You say, you know, who are these guys? You know, it turns out the the CIA and the FBI. Yeah. And, and <laughs> yeah. And, and if the, and who the FBI, you know, shouldn't leave the country. Like the FBI doesn't have a job where he has to actually leave the country. Anyway, there's the FBI. We won't spend no time on that. All right. So this is another one I was going to go through here. Um, Let's talk a little more about the agencies. And there's so many of them. Um, this is from Wikipedia. Now, why Wikipedia listed Congress and the judiciary and the executive office? So, okay, one, two, and three, they're okay. They're not actually agencies. 
<laughs> is I don't know why Wikipedia. They think everything can be done. Well, so, because they're treating they're treating them like um, their agencies. Because the, again, agencies are like another branch of government. They're to, right. to them, it's all one thing, I guess. I think, well, that's why they have them as one, two, and three. Maybe the three branches of government, and then the fourth branch of government becomes everything else. No, no, there's their list of agencies. Now, they I have, do. Oh my they gosh. Have, How they long have is 25. They have 25. So, yeah, we can't talk about each one. But what I was thinking is I was just going to blast through this list. Do I have it big enough to read? Yeah, yeah you can I can see read it, right? It. Okay. I can make it a little bigger. I was going to blast through this list and just say, all right, constitutional, yes or no. All Department right. of Agriculture, number four. Not constitutional, as no, far as okay. I know. Okay, so we don't have to go through 4-1 through 4-9. No. They're all unconstitutional. Department of Commerce, number five. <sighs> Regulations between interstate commerce is one of the things that's mentioned uh, in the Constitution, interstate commerce is, but how do they do it? A department? Eh, I don't think they're allowed to have a department. So, no, unconstitutional. No. Okay, I agree. And and the regulators want to point out, because this is a civic show, that when they said regulate in the Constitution, in the Commerce Clause, what they were talking about is make trade regular between the states. That right. is the, they can the make federal, rules. The federal government is allowed to tell states you can't have a tariff on products imported from another state. That's yep. what they meant. That's what they mean by regulate. They mean regular, not the way we use regulation today. All right, yep. little side for civics lesson. Number six, Department of Defense. You'd want to say yes, because we uh, one of the specific things the federal government is tasked with is, um, is the common defense, right? Um, according to the common defense. However, if you remember my one of my last visits, I don't believe that the I believe that the Second Amendment was meant to prevent the existence of standing armies. In other words, a permanent military force. The mm -hmm. Second Amendment talks about the well-regulated militia and the and a free state. And clearly from the Federalist and Anti-Federalist papers, they felt that any standing military would violate um, the ability for it to be a free state. That's the difference between a free state, by the way, and a not so free state is one has a standing army and the other one does not. So you could argue the common argument is that it is in the interest of national defense, but the founders never wanted a standing army. They, they thought Correct. that they, the states had armies. Each state so has an army. And they have, I think, I think that it's perfectly fine for the president of the United States to hire a guy and say, look, I need a specialist. You're the secretary of war. Help me coordinate this stuff and have an employee. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's allowed to have an employee. And he's a consultant. If we, if mm -hmm. Congress does declare war or if the U S mm -hmm. gets invaded and he has to react immediately before they can declare war, he's got a consultant because he becomes commander right. in chief of the state militias of the people. Right. So, so that he can coordinate that common defense. So yeah, there can be a secretary, but a department of defense secretary and the secretary could have staff. But not sure. the Pentagon, not the whole right. Pentagon, and then, so, not and a trillion. So I, I guess I'd say that's ninety nine percent unconstitutional instead of just going with a full hundred percent no. So, so you don't need a okay. That's a, that's an interesting one. Yeah, I won't uh, won't go against that. But I think there's a lot of flag wavers will say that um, no, you have to you have to have that. But uh, no, I th I agree with the standing army part. So that one is arguable both ways. I'll say. I think a yep. lot of people would go the other way. Okay, next. This one's a little easier, number seven. 
Department of Education, unconstitutional. <laughs> there's just nothing. There's there's no basis to even make an argument here. I, I have no idea. Besides them saying, "Look, we did it. No one's stopping us," and the federal and the judiciary is giving us deference. Mm-hmm. That's what they're doing, but there's no there's no basis. I can't imagine a basis for that. To run any education program within the states for for citizens, like no, that's clearly yeah. unscot. And as an aside, like for people who are interested in actually fixing their local government-run schools, um, getting on the board of education and going to meetings, you're just quibbling around the problem. Um, you know, you're rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic kind of thing. You got to get rid of the U.S. Department of Education uh, before you can fix your local school. If it's if they're funding your local school, I don't think you can fix it. So, um, right again, this is about the, those enumerated powers, and one mm-hmm. of the enumerated powers is not organizing educational goals for the whole country or something. There, there's no title nine program and and providing the, student loans and. Mm-hmm. And regulating what degrees do and and all of this. So all these seven one through seven seven, all of them are unconstitutional. Um, and is like like what you brought up with the um, uh, Department of Defense. I can think of one possibility that you could have some guy or some small group, which is education of people in the military. So I would right. say, oh, could and that a, could be part of the military, that the federal government could fund, Congress could constitutionally fund education programs related to duties of military. Except those militaries, of course, would be state militias, and the education would have to be about coordinating oh, their bingo. Okay, you got me. Okay, good. So straight, that straight me out. Out. You straight me out on seven. Okay, so all the seven is done. Pretty okay. much, yeah. Sorry. Good. Good. No, no, all of it. Yeah. No worries. Okay. Number eight, United States Department of Energy. Yeah. The word, I, I don't think energy appears in the Constitution. The no. word, even. So, no, I'm just going to go with I'm not sure what argument you would make. Um, I can think of practical reasons why we should cooperate on energy issues, but shouldn't that be the states? And then cooperation between the states. States can make agreements between each other. And, you know, the last winter we had uh, everybody found out about Texas. Texas has its own independent grid. It does. And they made a few and they, they regulate their own energy grid. And the problem is they did make some poor choices that were highlighted um, as the lack of quality. I mean, especially bizarre to me is the idea that a wind turbine could freeze up. There are literally wind turbine power power arrays where they've got big a whole bunch of wind turbines in antarctica okay sure you can you can design it's very a wind easy turbine. to winterize these babies but somebody at the department of energy of texas, texas. which should be allowed um decided to cut cut corners and made some poor choices and they and, and they relied that. on wind yeah I, i've i've heard they are fixing that but it's not an immediate thing they have to make some yeah. changes but yep. the, the conceptually the state having an independent energy grid is a good idea i wish yeah. my state had that uh it will help when texas leaves the union that, that, they, <laughs> that they can uh, that makes that easier okay right. number nine the department <laughs> of health and human services um humans are referred to in the constitution <laughs> Uh, at least indirectly, <laughs> um, in terms of the people. people um, they, yeah, the term is the people. Right. <laughs> and health could be a form of general welfare, I suppose. But 
No, this one, this one's a stretch. I don't think so. I don't think that's okay. constitutional. And now, oddly enough, Romney Care in Massachusetts when they created, uh, I think that's allowed because it's Massachusetts on a state level. Yeah, you can have a health department. By definition, the the ninth and tenth amendments remind us of that. But yeah, it's not a. But I don't see function. That's not a issue. It's not a function delegated health and human services or what they do, everything that agency does is not a delegated authority of the federal government. Therefore, as the 10th Amendment says, it's mm -hmm. either in the hands of the states or the people. Yep. As in not a function of any government at all. Number 10, United States Department of Homeland Security. Oh, this one is the worst of all. Absolutely no. Let's remember when this was created. This was created in response to 9-11. Yes. And it comes with the Patriot Act and it comes with mass surveillance, uh, illegal surveillance by the NSA against all Americans. It comes with, I mean, what a mess. And don't forget, yes. 10.2 there on your list, 10.2 says component agencies. This is wow. a, we're not talking about one agency here. We're talking about a family of agencies that goes on and on and on and on. Oh, it is unbelievable. How many agencies list. are under this one, one agency? FEMA, okay, I can probably just rattle them off. I'm not even going to go in them all. Flood yeah. insurance program, that's, I happen to live in Florida. This one's a disaster for Florida because people build huge mansions in places that no sane person would do so. And um, they've removed any market incentive for any actuary or insurance company to actually mm -hmm. have any market forces apply to this. Behavior, so, right? So there's no motive, literally no motive to even be responsible. So you get away from that. And we, and yeah. we have, I, I live, I live several miles inland in a two story concrete condo that's built like a fort concrete block built in 1970 with poured concrete gaps. Like this thing ain't going anywhere. It's, <laughs> it's like, a, I've been here several times in hurricanes. It's like you're inside a fort. We go outside, we shut the metal shutters. Um, we can live good. inside. We could live inside for extended period of time um, with <laughs> nothing. Uh, anyway, all these other things here, cyber and infrastructure security agency. Look at all these things. Stakeholder engagement division. And National. a lot of this, of course, is spying on you. It's spying on me. It's spying on all of us right now. A lot of this stuff is literally guns pointed in at Americans. Even though mm -hmm. we talk about this being um, protecting us from terrorism. For example, yes. under the, under here, one of these you're going to find is um, the TSA, which is my favorite one to hate on. I absolutely here, hate the TSA. Here it is yeah. right here, the TSA. I, I literally think it is one of the worst tragedies in American history that we created the TSA. And people say, oh, well, they protect us. No, they don't. The TSA kills more people than the terrorists. <laughs> Okay, the Sorry TSA to laugh. harasses every single person who yeah. attempts to do so much as exercise the most basic human right to travel has to be harassed by the TSA. Yes, um, I don't I don't think Thomas Jefferson and James Madison think they delegated a power to a federal employee to feel your crotch before you got on a stagecoach. Nope. No, and yet not. there they are. And they literally they, they they cost more money than rebuilding the World Trade Center multiple times over. They oh, that's a good one. They take more lives than the terrorists took on 9-11 um, over the years. They've uh, besides the fact, if you consider life in terms of time, they have delayed every single flight for every single American. 
by more than an hour. Every for, single one. For yeah, how much how much how much is that lost? How much is that? How much lost economic opportunity cost? How many billions of dollars is that? Opportunity cost of 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 all that. How many uh, millions of years of human lives of millions of lives mm -hmm. does that add up to? Yeah, it's crazy to think about. So, yep, that whole one's the Federal Air Marshal Service. Of course, that's unconstitutional because you don't need it. The Federal Law Enforcement Training Centers, I'll just point out, that's unconstitutional because federal law enforcement is unconstitutional. So you don't <laughs> need to train anybody. Uh, the Coast Guard, actually, you can there, – there is some that, – that can fall into the military. It's I basically a form of, um, of militia, though, that should probably fall under the state. should fall under the state. Mm -hmm. Now, I so my my like the federal government is allowed to have uh, what do they call it? Needful buildings, forts and mm -hmm. armories. Um, so you could have coastal protection for that. It would kind of mm -hmm. fall under that. But it's a very small scale thing. Nothing like mm -hmm. what we have now. And by the way, the Coast Guard has ships that go overseas and fight in wars. And Which is also a problem. It should be guarding our coast. It shouldn't necessarily be engaging yeah. in foreign aggression. Okay. Now here's one. Uh, Customs and Border Protection, they actually are allowed to do that, right? They are actually, yes. The federal government ha is um, uh, is delegated the specific re responsibility of dealing with our borders. However, don't forget what a big difference this has been since our founding, right? Um, mm -hmm. We used to have Ellis Island, which was created under these powers simply as a way to figure out who's coming and try to create some records and point people in the right direction and stuff like that. It didn't tell people they couldn't come. So no, they would t turn people away for being ill. Yeah. You could turn people away for certain reasons, but those were not targeted against the person's status. They no. were to try to protect America from, you know, bringing in vectors of disease, maybe, you know, mm -hmm. but like, but other, but other than that, anybody that wanted to come and there was no mm -hmm. safety net per se. You know, some something like half a third to a half the people in the 1800s went back to their country. They couldn't make it, and they ended up going back wow. because they didn't walk off and get a free Obama phone. Yeah, like that isn't what happened in 1850. Well, so I remember was, one of the most outrageous things uh, to me is the way refugees are now. Um, talk about a totally different mindset. Refugee status now is granted to people and we pay to bring them from all the way to the other end of the world sometimes here. We brought in this refugee from Liberia. Um, I, I was volunteering with um, uh, Arizona Legal Aid and there was this refugee that had been brought from Liberia to the United States, totally illiterate, even in the, her own language. Um, spoke no English at all. And they were saying, well, Arizona doesn't want to pay for her benefits. And I'm like, sometimes you create the mess. You got to deal with the mess you created. We literally took this person from her country, put her in Tucson. And now we don't want to take care of her. Like literally we should at least put her back where she might have a chance to figure <laughs> out her own environment. But instead we have literally uprooted her into a totally foreign environment. What are we going to do with her? Right? You've taken responsibility for her. You've taken responsibility, responsibility for her. She's now basically a ward of the state. She was disabled too, by the way. 
So that whole thing's a mess. And you could say, all right, the federal government does have the authority to uh, what's called establish a uniform rule of naturalization. So they can establish a policy. Uh, You do need borders. Like I believe, I believe in proper property. Therefore, I believe in borders. Um, But there's so many enticements to come in. As Stefan Molyneux put it, how big of a wall do you need around your property if you scatter diamonds all over your front lawn? It's good. Right. You need a good question. Daniel Miller yesterday on Twitter pointed out that uh, Texas needs to handle the immigration problem in Texas. Like the federal government is not doing it. It's a huge problem. And a stat he used just to uh, to as a note of the scope, more people invade Texas through the Mexico border every month than went up onto the beaches in Normandy. Right. And that's an invasion, which seems like a lot, which is pretty intimidating when you put it in those terms. Right. Here's the thing, too, though, that brings back we inherit the problems that our ancestors left for us. This is the same Mm -hmm. problem with the national debt. Right. We're leaving problems Mm -hmm. for future generations. Past generations have left us a pile of problems. And one of them is that dumb border. Oh, my gosh. All the way back to Baden Powell. He was arguing you cannot, especially in the Western half of this continent you cannot have a border that is that uh, cuts a watershed in half or crosses a river or goes along a river to do so is to invite permanent conflict because of water rights which is literally Mm -hmm. the most valuable resource in the western united states more money has been paid for water rights in the western part of the united states that has been paid for all the gold that has ever been mined in the gold rush in all the gold mining sense, literally water is more valuable than gold out here. And so the idea that they made the border, a river, a river, literally the biggest river there, the Rio Grande is the border of our countries between the United States and Mexico is to invite permanent, constant conflict, no matter what, because everyone on both sides of that river depends every single day for their survival on that river. And who does it belong to? The, well, it sort I don't of know. belongs to both of us. It would just align. Fight over it constantly, constantly, and we can never, we can never build a wall. You know, like that, this is one of the reasons why I laughed. I laughed so hard. I mean, sorry to the Trump supporters, but I laughed so hard when Trump said we're going to build a wall. So I was like, where? In Texas, at least, where? You, You're going to you build can't. it down the middle of the river. Well, what happens if the water starts flowing slightly more on one side of that wall? It's down the middle of the river. Well, then, bam, you've got a war on your hands, right? <laughs> this is our water. We have to survive. Yeah, they can't. He forgot about the river. Right? It's like, you, you can't do that. It's impossible. Yeah. And it's called Rio Grande. Like, it's a large river. That's why they named sure. it that. Like, you got to worry about that. Okay, let me get back to this list here. We'll, we'll try to buzz through them. There's so Sorry. many. No, no, there's no. So many tangents is, to go down. There's, so, there's only a couple more, I think. Oh, I have to back out of this. Right? No, this is just the Department of Homeland Security subsidiary oh, agencies. And they're not the only ones with subsidiary agencies. Okay. Oh, I think I have to go back, right? I mean, yep. I went into this. Okay. <laughs> um, and the next Homeland one Security, is 11. 11. Housing and urban development. Which also, as I want you to point out, 11.3 has subsidiary agencies, even more agencies. Um, (laughs) But no, we don't need to get into that. Housing and urban development. Again, not a federal issue. No. Department of the Interior, by definition. (laughs) That's the states. 
It's the states. The interior the is states the states. Are, <laughs> states are where the yeah, the Department of Interior is by definition unconstitutional. Uh, it again, only deals maybe with it's the interstate commerce regulation stuff that goes on, but again, that's supposed to be not an agency. It's supposed to be making uniform rules in Congress. So uh, see, here's all the stuff they do. Yeah. Indian in, affairs. Indian, Indian affairs actually the is Indi something delegated. Um they're separate nation according to the constitution. The Indian police are separate nation. I know the uh, reservations in Florida, they have their own police. In fact, be careful. I just spent well, three weeks do, in yes, Montana. They have their own police too. The Bureau of Indian Affairs has their own policing agency. The police is the Bureau of Indian Affairs and its roles. <laughs> okay. A uh, BLM, that's part of it. Bureau of Land Management. And there's there's the one that everyone loves to hate, especially in the West. So it's kind of funny. People say BLM out East, and you guys probably think Black Lives Matter. You say BLM anywhere in the West, and people go, "Oh yeah, the Bureau of Land Management." And then that's yeah. The and BLM. then only secondarily, oh wait a second, did you mean Black Lives Matter? Um, it is a well-known agency here because, for example, in Utah, we only own about Utah only owns about eighty percent of Utah. I mean, no, the BLM owns about eighty percent of Utah. Utah only eighty percent of Utah. Utah is one of the smallest, and California is up there too, fifty percent um, or something. Uh, Nevada is the the absolute worst. Nevada, Nevada the BLM owns over ninety percent of Nevada. Yeah, so that does not fall into the ten square miles and needful forts and buildings. Right. So what I mean, so if you're in Nevada, who who matters more to you your daily life if you live in Nevada? The state of Nevada government or the federal government? It's the federal government through the Bureau of Land Management is literally the largest effect on your daily life than anything else because the Bureau of Land Management literally owns the land you walk on, you sleep on, where your cows graze, where you're gonna go. It's owned by the BLM. The National Park Service. Yep. Even though the parks are nice, like those should be done by the states. Fish and Wildlife Service. No, nah, they don't have authority over fish. <laughs> um, right. Again, that's these are more like they should have been state okay. issues according to the Constitution. Yeah, they are. They are state. But issues. the Indian Affairs. Indian Affairs are a federal issue. Okay. Specifically, and only a federal issue, out. and that is constitutional. All right. Uh, the Department of Justice. They are allowed to have some legal justice, right? Well, it sure. would be a small agency. It should be, you know, this should basically be the, the president's lawyer. Um, but so, yes, they can have some of this. But again, it's really all outgrown. This? Is all this? <laughs> no. Oh, my gosh. It's outgrown. Any any idea? This is the list. Content, sure. This is the list. We can't possibly read all this. <laughs> so anyway, you just back up because the. Now, you said that, that it should be uh, the lawyer. The president can have a lawyer. This is reminding me of one other thing I want to bring up. I know we're, we're pushing our hour now. We're past our hour. Let's We'll keep going, and then I uh, have one other thing I was going to bring up. But uh, I we'll, want to bring we'll up close out. Go ahead. justice right now. One of the biggest things is three branches of government, I was saying, right? We've got the uh, legislative, the executive, the judiciary. A lot of people mm -hmm. do not realize that there are unconstitutional, what they're called Article One courts, the executive branch courts. In other words, this administrative state, this fourth branch of government, has its own court system with its own judges, its own laws. So it didn't just create through the CFRs, for example, it doesn't just legislate. It also has its own form of the judiciary, these Article One courts. And they actually handle a huge amount of law in the United States. Oh, is that where the FISA court falls under? Is yeah. Version of, yep. And so yeah, all those, other things. Yeah, all um, those are not part of the federal courts that are authorized. 
the Congress Correct. can. And can these treat. judges, these administrative law judges um, that serve in these courts also don't have the same protections as an actual judicial court. They can be political, essentially. Yeah. They can be, they can technically, uh, they're more likely to be biased according to these original checks and balances rules. Even more biased. Yeah, <laughs> considerably more. And they're allowed to be. Now, that's reasonable. not to say that there aren't a lot of good men and women who are doing their best in these agencies, right? Of course there are, but yes. um, they are beholden. Their jobs are on the line as to whether or not they rule in a way that the agency wants it ruled. Essentially, their jobs end up being on the line. So we would be we would be insane not to recognize that that does have an influence. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm going to blast through the rest. Just give me a yes or no. Department of Labor. No. Department of State. Eighty percent unconstitutional. There's a couple of things in there. We do have diplomatic things. We have to do certain writs. We have to have certain relationships. Uh, so yeah, a lot of that it would be constitutional. But some of the stuff they do then uh, violates be, our rights under these other things, like the CIA, right? So I would say CIA, yeah. So yeah, so yeah, I agree. I'm go with eighty percent unconstitutional. Eighty percent is a wag. Are, so sorry, that can't be a yes or no. That one's a mixed bag. Well, it well, it's kind of, it's a yes that there is. It is okay to have a. Department of State, or at least I mean, you can have ambassadors doing that go outside the scope of the enumerated powers. Yes, yeah. I could I could think of like one example, say, of a State Department official, Victoria Nuland, who handpicked the new president of Ukraine in the 2014 coup when the CIA orchestrated the overthrow of the democratically elected government. Right. And when that happens, <laughs> there's an example. <laughs> uh, once again, I don't see anywhere in the Constitution where it says we should overthrow foreign governments and set up puppets um, of our choosing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that was constitutional state, power. And State Department official Victoria Nuland, under direction of Joe Biden, VP Joe Biden, uh, was in Kiev when the coup happened, handing out cookies. Okay. Department of Transportation. I'm not actually joking. She was handing out cookies. Oh, my gosh. Um, um, Department <laughs> of Transportation. Her and John Kerry were there when the coup happened. I'm As the president s- escaped in his helicopter while <laughs> CIA-trained snipers were shooting at his car, which was sent out as a distraction. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> uh, we better not get into that because you're being earful for me. We're on transportation now. 16th. Thank you. Um I'm going to go with yes if what? it's rules for transportation, no if it's a department, if it's an agency. I don't see anywhere that this can be an agency, but transportation between states, transportation in, across our borders, those things, yeah, the federal government is supposed to make sure that there's there free movement be. of peoples between the states, for example, that you cannot set up a blockade in as much as we'd like to in Utah, set up a blockade and say no more Californians allowed. Um, we can't do yes. that. Okay. All right. So we can make That's rules for transportation, partial. but the department probably unconstitutional. Treasury. Seventeen. Tre- treasury. Oh no. Sorry. Have to do this tangent. This is my pe- biggest thing. Yes. We can have a treasury. We can have a treasury. We can have a treasurer. We can have rules. But you know what we can't have? We can't ha- have a fifth branch of government where we've delegated almost all of it to that fifth branch of government, which is what's the fifth branch of government? The Federal Reserve, which is not a branch of government at all, not beholden to anybody, but the Federal Reserve system has now taken over almost every responsibility. 
delegate it to the treasury of the United States mm-hmm. and usurped it and is controlling it as a private company. So the people think the federal reserve because of the word federals in the name is part of the federal government because they both use the word federal. Not so it is a private bank that has been that the federal government has more or less delegated huge, huge amounts of power and authority out of government into a private institution and given them the, the power totally unaccountable power to do whatever they want in operating in secret uh, and operating in secret. They can do whatever they want so they can create things like these federal reserve notes, which means what exactly nothing in particular, except that we've all decided to play along with the fiction, right? They create these federal reserve notes and they say this is worth a hundred dollars. And yes, I can buy stuff with this right now, but only on the basis of the legal fiction, the federal reserve should be respected. They're literally a private bank issuing money as we're trying to call it money but it's not money so maybe they're issuing credit but they're not even really issuing credit they are creating random stuff out of nothing based on nothing and you're subverting our entire monetary system so that's why we're making the gold backs right we want to bring it back to a more constitutional form of money which is gold or silver gold and silver are specifically mentioned as money and defined in the constitution, even what a dollar is, was a known measurable quantity of silver and is mentioned specifically in the constitution. So a federal reserve note is not a dollar. The dollar has a specific legal and common definition when the constitution was written and a dollar is a specific amount of silver. And and the federal reserve, like what it caused here, I just popped this up. Okay, so here's here's what the Federal Reserve did since 1913. So what you're telling me is this used to be worth 100 years ago, used to be worth a heck of a lot more, a little more than 100 years ago, a lot, lot more. And now it's it's asymptotically approaching zero. So I I should just remember that when I carry one of these into a store, this is my uh, this is my four dollar bill or my two dollar bill, right? It's two dollars. Yeah. Nine. Yeah. It's worth uh, is it down to two. It's it's in the two to four or something. Yeah, it's yeah. it's um it's approaching zero. Okay. <laughs> that, that's the see, and, that's and the yeah and and, so, and really back, since you're there, like do a little gold back pitch. Yeah, the gold back. The idea is to bring back constitutional money. So a gold back is made out of gold, right? So we've got one one thousandth of a troy ounce of pure twenty four karat gold in each gold back, um, and then uh, it's also this great thing because it's a whole monetary system, right? It's not just this one. There's a five, a 10, a 25, a 50. Um, the gold back is bringing back constitutional money by actually having it grounded in something of real value, which is gold, right? Gold has been money for thousands of years. My guess is it'll still be valuable in thousands of years because it's finite. It's useful. It's beautiful. Um, it's measurable. And the main thing it does is it creates accountability. It creates accountability because mm. you can make this out of thin air. You can't make this out of thin air. Um, good. Okay. And that's going to create accountability. So the, 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 what was the constitution for, right? When the founders set out in the constitutional convention to decide on a constitution, they were trying to create accountability. They were trying to create systems of accountability. And those systems of accountability do not work when you have a private, unaccountable agency manipulating every bit of property in this country. Uh, you said you believe in private property. What's your home worth? 
Well, if you denominate that in dollars, then the Federal Reserve is telling you what your home is worth, and they're telling you how they can manipulate your home, right? Creating so, some fifth branch of government in private hands, totally unaccountable, yeah. that can dictate every aspect of our property rights, and it's every not, bit of value of, of anything that we measure its value. And it's not federal, and it's, it's not a reserve. It's not a reserve either. Right, because they don't have any reserves. They no literally reserve. make their money out of nothing. So they yeah, that's numbers. the gold back. I'll just they show you. Here's, edicts. Here's, oop, I have to hold it near my face. So it's, here's my gold back wallet. Nice. You keep your gold backs in your pocket constitution. I love it. Yeah, that's my uh, <laughs> that's my wallet. Yeah, I have a I have a buy, I buy these by the hundred and hand them out. So I a, have a one. new pun level, a new pun level of constitutional money because <laughs> it's in the constitution. Literally. It says gold. Oh, that's funny. It is literally in my constitution. That's funny. <laughs> that's good. Now, okay. you better be careful. If you give away hundreds of those, don't accidentally give away one with 100 gold backs in it or something. Or you, That's a lot of money. No, the one the one, the one, one that uh, is my wallet has a rubber band around. So okay. Like, so, yeah, it's in, it's actually there's a couple there. but And the ones that I give away, I also I put a Carter maybe these. We got Rebel. Rebel Civic stickers. Nice. I'll give you one. Are you going to Pork Fest this year? Oh yeah, for sure. Okay, that's the. Uh, fact, people I haven't heard of Free State Rebel Civic stickers from you last time. I. Oh, maybe I did. Yeah, he sent them to me the there at the campground. And for <laughs> people who aren't familiar, uh, it's a uh, yearly event for, by the Free State Project in uh, New Hampshire, which is where Benjamin and I met when I bought some gold backs to go buy some wine and dinner and. Well, and you know, if they here's the real danger too. We've delegated so much power and authority to this uh, uh, this company, this private institution we call the Federal Reserve. We've delegated so much power and authority to, to them that we're in very real danger of a big step that a lot of people think is coming, which is central bank digital currency. Oh. In other words, they're going to create a digital version of the dollar, um, not a decentralized finance thing like like actual um, cryptocurrencies, right? But people are going to make that as the analogy. They're just going to say, well, look, it's just cryptocurrency. No, it's exactly the opposite of cryptocurrency. A central bank digital currency would give them not only the power to monitor every transaction, but the power to control every transaction. And they, and people say, oh, but I'm a small fry. I'm just some guy. Nobody's going to like try to stop my wallet. No one's going to stop my transactions. Yes, they will, because here's the thing. You don't need to hire some administrative bureaucratic person to look at that and push the buttons physically to mm -hmm. turn on or off your, your transactions. We live in the time of artificial intelligence. We live in the time of algorithms that rule our lives. What's going to happen is even the Federal Reserve, even Jerome Powell, won't even know what his own company is doing, what his own bank is doing. It will be ruled by an algorithm. So when they create the central bank digital currency, the algorithm will decide or the AI will decide whether or not they approve of your purchase and therefore whether or not your purchase is going to go through. And there, are, and, oh, and some of the credit card companies are starting to do this. They're, yes. in, they're giving people a taste of it. So from a collapsitarian point of view, I would just point out that as far as goldbacks, like because you know the next step with goldbacks is really just more and more acceptance, right? I more acceptance, more states. The more people, more people who use goldback.com and and sign up their business, the more places you can spend them, 
the faster it grows, um, mm -hmm. we're going to so, just start so, using alternative, right? So maybe you should have a, like a, a separate clandestine ID and you promote central bank digital currency because I can't think of a better way to promote gold back use than the federal government implementing CBDC. Like, right, because like then the gold back will, like, will explode. <laughs> I'll be doing everything in gold back. Yeah, I hope so. And little I, and little I'm silver trying coins. To do and, go back now. <laughs> and a few little little silver coins too. Nice. Um, yeah, that's good. So when you get one in Florida, all right. Back. Let's finish this list. We're almost yep. done. Uh, if I okay, that was a Treasury. All right. Um, Department of Veterans Affairs. I guess under defense. No, no, that's way too far. Veterans Affairs doesn't make any sense. It it, and actually. Healthcare Huge. for people who join for a year and aren't in the army, haven't been in for 50 years. And, and it's actually a shockingly huge agency, by the way, the Department of Veterans Affairs. Here's one of here's one of these shocking statistics. If, let's say you're in favor of administrative agencies. You don't like our talk about saying no, they're unconstitutional. They, prob um, they probably already left. The priority, they probably <laughs> already turned this off, right? But uh, here's one of the shocking statistics. Someone was saying when it comes to the Department of Veteran Affairs and just the VA health system, okay, because they offer free lifetime um, socialized medicine essentially to all of our veterans. They said if you simply streamlined the VA health system and said it's not the VA health system anymore, it's the American health system, we're going to have full socialized health care. The VA has so many bureaucrats, it's so inefficient that if you simply said – all Americans can now get free health care. We could give every American universal health care for less money than is already spent uh, on the VA really? health system. Because it could be cheaper if you just cut out the bureaucrats trying to decide who qualifies and who doesn't. If you got rid of just the bureaucrats <laughs> and said everyone qualifies, no one will ever be asked again. All you have to do is show up and declare that you're an American citizen and you will all get universal health care. The VA healthcare system could literally provide that to every American for less than it currently costs. But we'd have to go to a VA hospital. <laughs> Except okay. that it would all become VA yeah. hospitals, I suppose, under this theory. But yeah, it would literally be cheaper. You know the the famous <laughs> uh, speech by um, uh, when when the this was in the early 1800s. It was Congressman Davy Crockett uh, about mm -hmm. the uh, a federal vote a vote in congress to provide money to the widow of a military officer who had been right. in I mean, his long war and that got shot down because right? because no matter how lamentable her situation no matter how much you might want to help there's no power under the federal mm -hmm. there's no mm -hmm. power in the constitution that gives the federal government the power to do anything about it directly mm -hmm. I read part of that speech in a show a month or two ago. You know, here's um, a much more okay. recent example. There was the lady who was a vegetable in Florida. Um, and Obama was a senator at the time. So this must have been under Bush. Um, and the husband of this woman wanted to let her die in natural let allow her to die of natural causes she there was no brain activity she was dead anyway as far as he was concerned but her parents wanted her to remain on life support indefinitely um anyways the, her family they go to congress and they start saying do something about this even i thought it was amusing that even obama himself who loved these administrative agencies apparently and didn't have much regard for the constitution despite the fact he's a constitutional law professor so he should have, as you taught at Columbia, of all places, a fairly conservative law school. Um, but uh, 
Obama himself said, I don't think there's any authority under the Constitution that would make anything you're saying to us relevant. You're talking to the wrong person, is what he told them her family when they came up from Florida. You're talking to the wrong person because even if I desperately wanted to do something for you, I literally have no authority or jurisdiction in this matter. I can't, I can't do anything. He said that as a Senator, probably not as a president though. He said that as a Senator. And I thought, well, yeah, exactly. That's part of the problem is that sometimes there's a problem seeking a solution and that Mm -hmm. becomes our administrative agencies. Somebody has some complaint, some widow or some family member has some truly heart-stirring story and they say, please help us. And we go, why are you asking us? We have literally no authority to do this. And then the little thought creeps into the um, minds of anybody in the administrative state. Yeah, but who's going to stop us? <laughs> and then they're like, well, then let's just do it. <laughs> okay. Then there's one here, independent agencies and government-owned corporations. And this is where the gas stoves come in. And there are literally hundreds of these. I'm afraid There's, to click this. Oh, yeah. In fact, <laughs> if you look at the the sublists. It's like established under different types of authorities or different different theories. And then the end, 19.6 of this list is just other agencies and corporations. And there's hundreds of those that are just other. We don't even know. <laughs> look, quasi-official. Quasi-official Literally, agency. Nobody what even... Is- Nobody even bothered to take out a post-it note and a pen and a pen and say, I think I can do this because I'm the best and like stuck it on them. They literally just did it with like no authority at all. <laughs> yeah. For people just listening, you know, it. you just laugh when you look at this, like the JFK Senator for Center for Performing Arts, the National Gallery of Art. Smithsonian, the Woodrow Wilson Center for Scholars. My favorite uh, has got to be the National Zoological Police. National <laughs> Zoological Police. Even though the national, so the National Zoo is a quasi federal agency. It is a nice zoo. Sure. The museum, the theater, the Holocaust Memorial. Look at all these. The American Institute in Taiwan. Well, this one's Why especially we have an interesting because that should be under the State Department, of course, right? Uh, that is essentially, and in Taiwan, this is a hot button issue, right? But in Taiwan, we do not have officially an embassy because oh, because the Chinese government will not allow us yes. to have normalized mm. relations. So what we have is quasi official relations. We instead of having an embassy, we have the American Institute. So we have America. So that's what that is. I I was yep, curious. That is okay. It, and that, it's an important and wonderful institution. On this list, I suppose that was the only one that is constitutional. But it isn't constitutional for us to be um, calling it one thing and having it actually be another. Why American Institute of Taiwan is an actual embassy. It should be a State Department. It should it acts be an, as an agency. Department. It is an actual embassy, but we just pretend it isn't. We do have normal relationships. You know. Yeah, I mean, we... we I am speaking to you on a device whose processor was built by TWC Corporation, <laughs> right. Chip Corporation. The biggest IC manufacturer in the world is in Taiwan. So, yep. yeah, we have normal relations. My scooter was built in Taiwan. Okay. The Institute <laughs> of Peace. Everyone's cars this one's have funny. Components made in Taiwan because they do all the computer components for almost all if, the cars. If you have a processor, I Maybe. can't. Yeah, it's hard to believe there's a car that doesn't have something from Taiwan in it. Yep. Since they make f- something like 55% of the integrated circuits yep. are manufactured by TWC. Um, I was just curious what this one was, so I clicked it. I'm still sharing, right? You are. Yes, <laughs> um, I can see it. 
What is the National Institute for Peace? It's tasked with promoting conflict resolution and prevention worldwide. Now, do they know about this little thing going on in Ukraine? I was going to bring that I'm one up. I'm sure they do, and I'm time. sure they're talking about it a lot. But again, where and but again, either that <laughs> should exist under the State Department as part of our relations with foreign powers, or it's not constitutional. So pretty much all of these, except for ones that are like snuck in there for weird things like the Taiwan quote unquote embassy, this right. whole 19, they're all okay. Right. Joint programs. That's the joint programs with the states, I think. Oh, all I love those it. And interagency agencies. There are agencies for, to be interagency <laughs> agencies. It's an interagency agency. <laughs> I didn't look at these before the show, so sorry for people who just have to the Woodrow Wilson Center, International Center for Scholars. How come there's a Woodrow Wilson Center here and there was another Woodrow Wilson Center? So let's just break this down for a second. Okay. There's this many things. How many people work for the federal government Okay, let's, in these agencies? How many unconstitutional employees are there essentially? Okay, you know? we were talking about this, yeah, on the on the uh, earlier. Well, I so found out. This- Oh, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Spill it. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. The last uh, um, estimate that I know comes from 2018. So it is certainly bigger now. But in 2018, there were 2,098,913 people in June of 2018. The 2 million people. Yeah, out of 330. Almost 2.1. Almost 2.1. And those are direct federal employees, right? Yes. Okay. So here's another. People on the payroll. Who work for the administrative two agencies. million? Yep. Yeah. What's what's the size of? Uh, and that's been four years ago. Five pick years a, ago. Pick a company like what? What you know? What uh, what is the equivalent company that has two million employees? That's a pretty big company. Right. <laughs> so here's another thing I uh, found. In fact, it is the biggest company in the world by that measure. It, and by employees? Yeah. There's just there is no other. There's nothing that comes close to that. So here's another one. Um, let me blow this up a little more. Uh, yeah, we were talking right before the the show about um, some of this. Oops. So this is called the true size of the government. So they got uh, eleven million. So they're well, counting. Yeah. They're counting because military, the, the, the two, two million, million we're talking about are literally. 2.2 estimated in 2020. It's just the dark blue at the bottom. That's the dark blue. Then we got military. Oh, that doesn't include. They're certainly federal employees. They don't count them. 1.4. Yep. Postal. This this I assume is referring to the post office, not people who went postal in 2020. <laughs> yes, indeed. And the post office is constitutional. 0.5 million people. I think they should Half turn that over people? to FedEx. That is you know, pretty big. You notice Amazon doesn't use them. Um Okay, contract. Now here's another one. Five million. Well, and this is two and a half times. This is your Blackwater. This is Honeywell. This is Raytheon. This is you know Martin defense ones. It Um, was me. I worked for many years for a defense contractor, so I was in this. I was part of the problem. (laughs) (laughs) And then grant. When they give grants of money for people to do stuff on behalf of the federal government. That's 1.8 million. That's 1.8. It's almost as big as the as the total federal employees. It's another whole thing, almost the size. So yeah, this comes up to 11 million. Wow. Um, so here's my question. 
how if we only have about 300 million people in the entire country and 11 million of them work for the government D- direct this is directly for the government right yeah. these are directly paid full time by the government so it's the it's the other you know 90% now now you have to divide it by how many people actually pay taxes right they're the so ones that have to pay this? for all this how do we pay for this? Because we still have to eat. We still have to be clothed. We still have to um, have shelter. All the necessities of life still have to be made in our economy before we do things beyond that. And this is mm-hmm. all extra economical activity, right? Th- these are mm-hmm. not producers. Um, even a defense contractor, like you mentioned, right, isn't producing something for people to live on. It's producing something to destroy. So yeah. it's not... It's still therefore non-productive in the traditional consumer sense. And then you how much can we afford? You know, it makes me really wonder how much can the economy bear before we just can't bear anymore. That's why we're thirty-one trillion in debt, United States, as of right now, Um, and trillion a year, adding to that. Right. So yeah, it's it's the, your grandchildren are going to be paying for this. Now, once again, that is uh, part of the money problem. A uh, big part of the money problem is that um, debt is imaginary, just like money is imaginary if it's Federal Reserve notes we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we're we're never going to pay it because we literally can't. If we were to pay off the debt, there would be no more Federal Reserve dollars in existence. So here's an article you had brought up. Most of the government is unconstitutional. So do you want to just talk about this? Because you mentioned this is from a more left. Oh, and it's actually, if you read the whole opinion, if your viewers want to go there and read the whole opinion, um, this is written by a liberal, an extreme liberal who's lamenting and worried um, because um, he's, he's saying, well, shoot, I love the administrative state. I want the administrative state to thrive. But it looks like the Supreme Court is going to be pointing out that they're, that it's unconstitutional. Almost all this stuff is unconstitutional. So they call it, you know, the New York Times, of course, they call it a conservative assault on Congress's power. So they don't have the votes. Now, they say here, federal agencies have been vested with expansive authority since the dawn of the republic. Uh, no. <laughs> I would say it really came to pass under the New Deal, um, that it got to be truly expansive. Um, Teddy Roosevelt did do the National Park Service, but, uh, you know, how much does the National Park Service really cost compared to all this other stuff? It really started with FDR. And they say here, this is a pretty, if you want to call it liberal thing to say, the rise of agencies like the Office of Price Administration, the Social Security Administration, and the EPA was essential to the prosecution of two world wars. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> they certainly gave rise to words. When I was reading that, I was thinking, I was thinking about the phrase, never let a good crisis go to waste. Whenever I'm there is something like a world war going on, you, the temptation is, well, we need power to fight this war and everyone's willing to give a, write us a blank check because we have to fight the Nazis. Mm-hmm. And so what do we do? We write them a blank check and then we indenture our all future generations to extensive and onerous regulations. Um, because once once a power is granted or assumed or taken by an administrative agency, it's never given back. 
what what they call a functional modern government. So what he means is a socialist, big yeah. state government control of everything. Congress yeah. has no choice but to delegate authority and discretion to federal agencies. There's no because way you could get the code of federal regulation with, without, without the bureaucracy, you could never have this level of control over everyone's lives. So that's what they mean here, right? Yeah, that's, absolutely. That's, that's what they mean. Um, it, it would be impossible for the enforcers of government to actually affect our lives to that mm -hmm. extent unless they had um, unless they had the power to create these agencies. If you want your fingers in everyone's pie, you have to hire enough fingers to stick them in everybody's pie. So in the end, he's he laments the, you know, that most of government is unconstitutional. That's interesting. That's a that's a quote from Justice Kagan, because she's concerned about this doctrine. In other words, the argument that arguments that were brought up in the case that that brought this to mind, the Gundy case, um, said, look, if this is true. If your argument holds, and we hold with your argument that um, enumerated powers in the Constitution have to be held to and things like that, then most of the government's unconstitutional. And we couldn't, oh, we, just couldn't, okay. we couldn't do that. It would be too, it would be too terrible of a, That's it would just be too revolutionary for us to go back to being a free state. You know, like we were just going down that list being like unconstitutional, unconstitutional, unconstitutional. Do you realize that if you or I were um, in charge of the Supreme Court for a day and just draw, actually when we drew, drew lines to these and said, this is unconstitutional, this is unconstitutional, if we could just do that, we would be putting at least 10.7 million people out of a job. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And then, <laughs> and then on top of that, more than 10 million people would be putting out of a job we would um, be putting an end to almost every way that the federal government affects and interferes with people's ordinary lives. And that's true. do, and that's a, mm -hmm. that would be a radical, radical change at this point. It would be extremely radical. You'd have to be like some kind of person who's so into civics. They're an absolute rebel about civics um, to want to that something like that to happen because most of government government would therefore be unconstitutional. Yeah. So I misunderstood it when I asked the question because I didn't read the whole sentence. So she said, if the law in Gundy is unconstitutional, then most of the government is unconstitutional. Yep. And but, but I, she's actually the law in Gundy is unconstitutional, unconstitutional. by my theory and by yours. So it is. And by Thomas Jefferson's and James Madison, and by Thomas Jefferson and James Madison <laughs> and all the so, founders. So but as far as what the article author calls a functional modern government they don't care and neither does kagan justice kagan right that's why i was surprised when that kagan would say that because i didn't think that justice kagan ever heard of a three-letter agency that she that isn't constitutional well and basically that's what she's saying is is well this is crazy if we actually had to ask this difficult question if we actually had to justify it by the constitution then most of the government would be unconstitutional you wouldn't want that would you that would be chaos we have people running around exercising freedoms. Uh, we yes. just, you know, it would be crazy. It'd be, it would be it'd crazy. Basically, be anarchy. It'd be true. It'd be the the foundation of America. Well, yep. And Kagan, <laughs> my favorite story to bring up about Kagan is, uh, well, I, I might have mentioned to you before, but we were talking about constitutional law, like what constitutional law is at you know Harvard. <laughs> 
Um, it's a study of Supreme Court decisions, which is all that they sure. care about, right? We we got into that once before, but uh, Dean Kagan, her job before the Supreme Court justice, removed the the last class at Harvard that was a required graduating class for a for a law degree at Harvard, which was one class on the U.S. Constitution. That's Only an option. That's they had one. They had one until she got the dean job. And she changed it to a class in international law. And she Wait, said they, that. And they had none? They have none now, yeah. And it was Kagan, Kagan who did it. Her reward for that was she got appointed to the Supreme Court. <laughs> oh, we need this lady. So, yeah, it was the, the requirement. It was a required class to get a JD. Of course it is. How can you possibly it's not now. pretend it's that not you have a Juris Doctorate if you don't even know what the basic, most basic law of the land is, the Constitution. It is not a requirement at Harvard. And Justice oh Kagan is the one who removed it. She swapped it to a international law class because she said a, a, gra a, law, a law school graduate today needs to know international law. They're all, they're all, um, and then don't get me wrong. We should probably know some international law, but we should definitely need to know sure. the Constitution. And um, it, it just goes to show you how little uh, these little private clubs like the American Bar Association really matter. Um, because I would think that they should, that, that something like that should, should have meant that they would lose their accreditation. They'd be like, sorry, you're not an accredited law school anymore. Goodbye. Yeah. We have a comment from, and we were discussing right before the show, the numbers, but uh, El Valcaro, he's uh, often comes up with some good stuff. He uh. says, include state and local governments and over 50% of our economy is government spending. In 1900, it was closer to 5%. Right. Now, 5% is probably sustainable in the sense that uh, we, you always need some cushion in your economy for th mm -hmm. the things that you want that are nice things to have maybe, but that aren't productive in and of themselves. But with it being closer to 50%, mm -hmm. it makes me wonder how we even survive. No wonder people struggle, right? No wonder it's hard to find housing that's affordable and all that, all of that stuff, because really we have to lean somewhere and we end up leaning on the working class to take lower wages so that we can afford these fancier things um, and things like that. Because at some point, somewhere in your economy, something has to give, something has to add up. The numbers will add up. These are like economic laws are like the laws of physics. They're going to be fulfilled. Um, sooner or later, every plane has to come down sooner or later. Inf inflation will cause your currency to collapse sooner or later. Um, government spending at that kind of level will cause mass starvation or or civil conflict if they don't find some way to feed the people. You know, this is why, like mm -hmm. with the old Romans, you know, give them give them bread and games. You know, but at a certain point, you're going to run out of bread if you don't have somebody baking it and growing it. Eventually, economics is going to catch up, just yep. like the science catches up. Yep, <laughs> <laughs> it always catches up eventually. Yeah, we can say, well, the economics says. Like, okay, you start starving, like, well, maybe you should pay attention to economics. Yeah. Um, there's another good comment here. Uh, Federal Reserve and the 16th Amendment laid the economic foundation for the expansion of central planners. There's two that was, that, both of those were key. It was yep. going on even before that, but yeah, talking those about, two were keys. We should get the, rid of um, both of them. Throw the in the 17th Amendment. Amendment, I'm in. Yeah, the Civil, the civil War Amendments really are kind of the second founding. Some people say that call that the second founding of the United States because it does, it changes the game. 
Deeply. Or the destruction of the United States. So, yeah, the, the how the 14th Amendment is used now, maybe we have to throw that one out, too. So the, take out the United States 14th, were. Um, these, these United States were. One way. Yeah, and then it eventually just became the United States are. Yeah. yeah. The United State. Or the United States is. State. The United States is. The United State is. Yep. There's no S on the end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, we should probably close this out. So in summary, I'll put this back up. She didn't really mean to say it. She said it as an argument of why something else was wrong, but she's actually was correct. Most of government is unconstitutional. Yep. That's true. That and is true. The, the problem is, is that, okay, even if you recognize that most of the government is constitutional, what do you do about it? So I guess my closing argument in almost all these cases is you build alternative infrastructures. You build alternative systems. The, what do you do when you're surrounded by injustice or tyranny or unconstitutional government or any of these things? You learn to opt out. You learn to not be part of the problem. And so you do stuff like use goldbacks instead of dollars. Nobody's making you accept, um use dollars you think you're being made to because everyone's doing it mm -hmm. you think you have to comply because everybody's doing it in general if we simply do not comply with tyranny tyranny loses its power tyranny is a paper tiger it's an illusion if the people have freedom in their minds if people have freedom in their hearts no no number of of bad jackbooted thugs is going to be able to stop you from exercising your freedoms. But if everybody kowtows to that authority and they say, oh no, I couldn't possibly, I have to, I have to do whatever they tell me because they have the authority, then they do have the authority because where's the cage? The cage is in your own mind. That's the people, where it is. The people that go along are, are the sheeple and the, uh, mm -hmm. and, and the point of this is, yeah, alternative currencies, like mm -hmm. divorce, divorce yourself from the currency. Yeah. Um, just, just that's, stop participating. Just don't, just don't do it. That's a big, that's a big step. That's so a, one of, that's one a of key. the things that I, I did was um, when it came to my private law practice, um, is I said I don't take payment in Federal Reserve notes. I, I just, I don't, I just don't. If you want to, if you want to hire me for my services, you can, but uh, I, I don't accept that as a form of payment. It's just not something uh -huh. I do. So, that's a, that's a way to lay it out. Like, okay, encourage. The Make it clear, right? Mm -hmm. The um, it's a it's actually a good tie into next week's Rebel Civics, which is a roundtable on secession with several guests lined up. So, as far right. as the solution goes, uh, ultimately well, divorce yourselves from the fiat money system. Mm -hmm. Check. Uh, ultimately, <laughs> it looks to me like we have to divorce ourselves entirely from that whole Wikipedia list of agencies. So and, hash, and, hashtag and flex do, it. Once again, it's just taking direct action. You just don't mm -hmm. need to ask permission, mm -hmm. right? Don't ask permission when you don't need to ask permission. Just do and exercise your human rights. Exercise your human rights. Do what you're going to do. And stop, stop, stop abdicating your moral agency, your moral responsibility to whatever they tell you to do. Yep, great advice. So, where's a good place to follow Goldbacks or you or what? What? Uh... Well, definitely go to goldback.com. Uh, any business owner, 
anybody who's made it this far, who's a business owner, is going to be a like-minded individual, I would think. Um, sign up your business to accept Goldbacks. At goldback.com, you can go to the Featured Businesses page and click on how do I accept the Goldbacks in my business. Give us your basic info. We're just trying to build a list of all the freedom-loving businesses that want to use sound money, real money, um, and have gold and silver instead of fiat paper in their business. Um, so that's the main thing. Uh, I, you know, I'd love to post you a refer my referral link so that people can open their own gold-backed denominated accounts through the United Precious Metal Association. It's not a large enough institution to be in your state, probably. We've got a branch opening in New Hampshire, in Manchester, and oh. we've got a couple branches here in Utah. A three, there'll be three places in Utah that'll have um, United Precious Metals Association and serviced by Alpine Gold branches. Um, but uh, no, no matter where you are, you can still get an account. You'll just have to be do some of your banking by mail that way, essentially. And it's not officially a bank. It's non-banking institution, but it offers various services. So that's something to look up. Um, and then, yeah, when it really comes down to it, the main thing is stop, stop selling yourself short by participating in an inflationary uh, monetary system. At least put 5 to 10% of your savings into gold or silver. Get a tangible asset. Okay. Yeah, send me the link. We'll put the links in the in the show notes on unsafespace.com. They'll awesome. uh, they'll show up there. Uh, it doesn't happen right away. It takes a little while for that to get processed. But yeah, send me that link and I'll add it with the uh, the links and also all the uh, websites we went to. That'll all be in the show notes. So Excellent. thanks for joining. And uh, yeah, as far as this, as far as one solution to consider, uh, next week's episode is uh, the second secession roundtable. Um, next week, we've got the uh, leader of what's called CalExit 3. That's one of the several secession movements going on in California that is to split California into two halves with the left liberal leaning half to spin off and form a new country called California Republic. And the eastern kind of wrapping around to the north and south, more conservative, which would actually just end up being a swing state um, overall remaining in the union as new California or California. So he's going to be on. Uh, and then secondly, we have, we're going to have JG Franklin, who's a, uh, he's a U.S. Uh, citizen who teaches English in Brazil. And he's part of a secession movement, which I didn't know very much about, but the three uh, Southern Western states in Brazil, there's a secession movement going on within Brazil right now. So he's going to, uh, tell us about that. Um, well, and bring you know, somebody the right from the secession movement is supposed to be a human right. If you want, if you want to be your own thing, government yeah. should let you without fighting a civil war to stop you. You see what's behind me? Pretty much <laughs> lays it all out. The Declaration of Independence uh, explains all this: why people mm -hmm. have the right to self-governance. So, anyway, thanks for joining, Ben. That was great. Yep. Thank you for having me. This production was made possible through the generous support of our members. To join our community, visit unsafespace.com. Unsafe Space is an online publication for individualists interested in subverting authoritarianism and ushering in the next enlightenment. For biting analysis and nourishing composition, or to sign up for our weekly news brief, The Abstract, visit unsafespace.com. 
Thanks for joining us today. Warning, this is an unsafe space. Dangerous ideas have been detected. The content of this production has not been authorized for distribution on Apple devices. The following co-conspirators are hereby uninvited to Klaus Schwab's winter solstice party. Please be advised that CBS News has paused activity on unsafe space while it continues to assess security. Central Bank Digital Currency is a safe and secure way to protect you from Sam Bankman Freed. If you think about it, no one should be allowed to express opinions. But don't think about it, I mean, that's not your job. Thinking has been scientifically proven to be less efficient than compliance. Science scientific, and scientifically are registered trademarks of the World Economic Forum. Unauthorized use is prohibited. Computer voice Curtis, never mind, that last line is misinformation. Please disregard it and return to your safe space immediately. There will be cake.